Welcome to the practice of being seen. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. I believe that when you truly see yourself, you create a ripple effect that allows you to be the change you wish to see in the world. And that invites everyone around you to do the same. In these curated discussions, I invite you to make space to see yourself. But here's a little warning. The practice of being seen might lead to deeper intimacy, less fear, and more creative, bold action. Are you ready to deepen your practice and be seen? Welcome back to the Practice of Being Seen podcast, episode number 35. Today, I'm going to talk to a friend and colleague, Jeffrey Davis. We're going to talk a lot about this idea of how we often defer wonder to our children and we give ourselves other tasks. What if wonder is grown-up work? So, without further ado... I'd like you to meet Jeffrey Davis. Jeffrey is a writer, speaker, consultant, and the author of four books. Through his venture and consultancy, Tracking Wonder, he and his team work with creative innovators, entrepreneurs, and social psychologists to help people flourish in times of challenge and change. He lives with his wife and their two little girls in a farmhouse in the Hudson Valley of New York. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. You know, we have met a few times here in the Hudson Valley um, in different ways. I know I've I've met with your wife for acupuncture. I've met you at Camp GLP. There's there's little little ways that we've gotten to know each other, but I'm really excited to get to know you more on today's conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. I'm excited about this uh, venture, uh, the practice of being seen. So I, I yeah. suspect we'll cover lots of rich territory. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm also really excited about your ventures with Tracking Wonder. I was diving into your website earlier today, and I read this one little blurb on your about page that I felt like I needed to share with our readers, if that's okay with you. Sure. So it says, when I became a father, I looked into my first infant girl's sky-wide blue eyes, and I made a silent twofold vow to learn again from her the art of not knowing and to live a life so rich with skillful creativity and wonder that she would want to become a grown-up. Yeah, well, that just <sighs> got to the heart of it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. When I read that line, when I read that on your website, I was just like, oh, my heart just started fluttering. Like it was like, I, I know that and I, I want to know more. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I felt like that would be a really good way for us to start this conversation and dive in. Yeah, that is indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's so much actually in that that uh-huh. uh, moment and that statement. Um, and, and so I'll back into it. I do often say wonder is not kid stuff. That yeah. one, wonder is radical grown-up stuff. And part of the background there is um, 
Well, actually, leading up to that moment, about 15 or 16 months earlier, I had contracted Lyme's disease for the first time. And then uh, a few days later, our dream farmhouse uh, set on fire, uh, lightning-induced uh, fire oh my that goodness. sort of wiped out our our uh, farmhouse and it put us out of the house for 15 stressful months when we decided, oh, we're going to get pregnant and have a baby in the mi- middle of all of this. Um, because and- that's life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, there were many m- other distresses, but what i was there were there were other beautiful moments as well so the day after the fire i um came back to the scene uh, looked at my study and studio which was just uh walls of black char so there were about 300 volumes decimated 300 books decimated my laptop was melted with my next book on it and you know, it had mainly hit my study and studio, and, and so I was going back to see what we could salvage. And so I'm just looking at this charred-out wall, and um, through one of the holes in the ceiling, there was just this yellow pulsing in the margins of my eyes. And I see this yellow pulsing. There was this gorgeous yellow monarch that had flown in. It was just like had oh. land, landed right there on the bookshelf. And um, all of my distraughtness, all of my frustration, tension, all of that fear that comes with not knowing, I just, it just all dissolved for a moment. And I just opened for the moment and kind of smirked and like knew that it would be okay, whatever happened. Um, and that is such like that is such a human experience and yeah. also such a magical one. Like it, it's both grounded and ungrounded all at the same time. That's right. It's both grounded and ungrounded all at the same time because it disorients you. You get yeah. sort of closed and locked in in terms of what you think is real. And then suddenly something unexpected and surprising just opens you up again for a moment. And that moment is almost just enough to keep going a little bit more grounded in a different sense of what's true and what's real. And that's wonder. That is, and that's tracking That is wonder. wonder. Yeah. That is wonder. That is- and, and so fast forward to, you know, uh, we, we give birth to this miraculous you know, being and, uh, and my body wasn't still fully healed. In fact, I contracted Lyme's a second, even harder time the following summer. And uh, so I have this three-month-old little infant, and I'm walking her early in the morning to give my wife Hillary some relief in the morning. So every morning I'm I'm walking her, but I'm also very sorrowful that maybe I'm never going to be the larger-than-life papa I'd finally let myself imagine I could be. Mm-hmm. And um, that is – it was one of those October mornings in the Hudson Valley – peak fall foliage and I, I look into her sky wide blue eyes and basically that's that's when I vowed to her that I will track wonder again like I'd already been on its trail for a while but this was the greatest test of it and and so we often defer our joy and our happiness and our sense of wonder to children 
and then and we give ourselves other tasks we like give ourselves our, our stuff other isn't tasks. the wonder it's yeah. yeah that's right that's right and then we give ourselves the grown up stuff mm-hmm. and then our <laughs> children are left saying oh my gosh i don't ever want to grow up i want to go to never never land i want to go somewhere else but i do not want to be that so there are moments when i feel like 8 years later that maybe i've succeeded because uh recently when our 8 year she's now 8 8 year old came home from school earlier this year she, i said what did you do at school today and she said well um we kind of spent a lot of the time outdoors painting this bench uh as a gift and i and i said wow i want a job where <laughs> i just you know stay outdoors most of the time and and paint and uh and she said i know papa you could be like a treasure hunt maker and you could just like put treasures out in the woods for people and you could kind of give them clues along the way and i thought oh that is what i do (laughs) yeah i was i was gonna go there i'm glad you did (laughs) so there are moments can you fold us in a little bit and help us integrate that part of the conversation like help our listeners understand how this is what you do yeah so you know, tracking wonder uh, as a business is is three tiered. Uh, it's a consultancy, it's a community, and it is a, it is a practice as you've gotten a taste of. So, as a consultancy, we do have a, a team. You know, we call ourselves Creative Renegades, and we and we really do work with uh, businesses and creative entrepreneurs to specifically to turn their signature ideas into captivating. Brands, brand story, identities, books, next phase ventures. Um, and a lot of that work is, first of all, you know, we treat brand identity and brand story as, as this opportunity really to identify what's at the essence of a business or if it's for a personal brand, what's at the essence of the person. And that requires a lot of discovery work, discovery interviews, um, exercises, and just that discovery stage. And, you know, I'm a pattern finder, and so I will see patterns, I'll see metaphors and things along the way. And I'm holding that space, but I'm also tracking uh, for certain clients. So, you know, yesterday I was working with a CEO of a company, and, uh, you know, part of part of his work is finding ultimately his identity outside of the corporation and his brand identity outside of the corporation. And we're kind of thinking a few years off, right? Right. So, right. You're, you're, you're planning for something that isn't yet. That's right. And so we were maybe on our third meeting, but I was tracking patterns from our first meeting and holding some things back up to him, including some things he had said about when he was a boy. And, uh, and and part of the work we do is really identifying parts of your young genius when you were eight or nine years old and how you're bringing some of those qualities forward. So I am tracking in that regard. And I'm, I, I'm like finding little patterns and I'm kind of pointing, you know, in this direction. This particular client said, you keep affirming my provocative ideas and nobody ever encourages me to be provocative. Wow. And and, and I said, but from our first conversation, 
I've identified, and from some of the self-assessments, I've identified that that is part of who you are. And if we can find ways to bring that quality forward in a productive way, you will, you will be more likely to flourish as we move forward. So that's kind of how I do some treasure hunting. I, well, and I love that, you know, it, it, I actually really resonate with this. Um, I'm a relationship therapist in my yeah. in my non-podcasting life. Yes. <clears throat> and um, I do a lot of similar tracking with my clients. The other side of what I do is that I do a lot of consultation with clinicians around figuring out who they are and how to integrate this brand identity stuff into their clinical practice. Um that these two things aren't so different. They're, they're kind of one and the same. And I'm loving what you're talking about here on so many levels because one thing that I've been kind of, a pattern that I've been tracking, something that I've been noticing is that in many cases, it's this, the stuff that we were told we're too much of this, we're not enough of that. All of these parts of ourselves that we hide are the exact places where our brilliance can shine through. Oh, that is so spot on. You and I are, <laughs> yeah. Very similar mindset in different fields and <laughs> had those very conversations. It's not gender specific, this no. phenomenon. And and men get it and um and and so some of the executives I work with, you know, they they tell me, well, people tell me I'm too much, I'm too intense, I'm too this. And and right, uh I'm sure you see it in relationships. Relationships are fascinating. Difficult. <laughs> right? They're difficult and they're fascinating because yes, they're difficult. More power to you. Um, but, um, you know, there is a tracking wonder dimension to relationships too. Yes. Um, and that's been an ongoing even discovery point for me because I am, I have been more introverted and, and solitary and uh, thinking, oh, well, I'll, you know, I always find wonder in the natural world and I'll find wonder in, in making art and, and, and writing and those sorts of experiences. But there's this other layer of that of wonder arising in that space between two people in conversation and the willingness kind of speak your language of being seen, the willingness to see this person that you've shared 5,000 breakfasts with anew, yeah. you know, just for it's, a moment. It's, a, <laughs> it's another layer of intimacy. Like when you can actually allow yourself to not know again. Yeah. Right. Oh yes. And that you see, this is, <laughs> this is so it because um, wonder does, does dissolve at least for a moment what we think we know about ourselves, about somebody else, about what we think is real. So yes, just that willingness not to know the person you've been in relationship with for 10, 20 years, to allow that not knowing to arise without it threatening you. Um, oh, I'm I'm getting like spinal chills and like I'm I'm like dancing in my chair right now. I can't sit still. <laughs> and I'm going into this place where where the thing that I'm thinking is like, and it's not just about relationships. It's also about like not knowing yourself. And when you don't fully know what's laid out in front of you, that's the place where creativity is like expansive. 
it is the place where creativity is expansive. And it's actually directly related to something that feels as um, sort of fixed as branding. And, and so branding is this opportunity to bring forward a part of yourself or a part of the identity of a business, but it's, it's never fixed. And this has been an ongoing challenge, I think, even for some of our clients to recognize because we, we can take a client all the way from like seed idea to venture to website or rebrand. And the website phenomenon creates this sort of fix, fixedness. Like but we it's think, so unfixed. <laughs> it's it so has to unfixed. keep changing and growing. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's a part of it too, is that particularly in these times, we have to allow ourselves to keep evolving and changing. So, you know, somebody that I'd been working with for years um, had said to, uh, to somebody on my team, like, I don't even recognize the Jeffrey I knew 10 years ago. And I think the way it was said was a little critical. I think that person wanted me to be whom she had experienced 10 years ago. <laughs> and she I, knew. <laughs> yes, the one that she knew, right? It and all this comes is, back to knowing. <laughs> it does. It all comes back to knowing the one that she knew. And you need to stay in character and be that person that I knew. Otherwise, it can be threatening. So this happens with brands, right? So brands are often afraid to change because of the relationship with their customers, clients, community. And we've seen the backlash, right? Like, how dare that brand change? Like, <laughs> that was the Starbucks I knew or whatever it is, right? So it's it's curious the layers that this works on. And of course, it works right there with the person you're in relationship with. It it works at the team level and it works at the business client level. Yeah. Like, yeah. Tell me more about um, how creativity is expansive in this moment. Well, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly leaning into a, a pivot, a, a huge shift where when we started this podcast, um, Marisa Gowdy and I were, were doing it together yeah. and I'm pivoting now and we're leaning into, this is the beginning of season two and here, here we are. And, um, there's been a shift and Marisa's not, she, she's doing her own creative stuff and she's unleashing her writing and she's doing exactly what she needs to be doing. And here I am with the podcast and we're, we're doing things different. Yeah. And I, I feel really creative right now. I, mm. I'm living into a place of not really fully knowing what's coming next. I have a bunch of ideas, believe me, there's, there's certainly sparks in there, but can't write it down in like a outline format for you yet. Yeah. It's something that's living inside of me and it's very organic and I'm going to go with what what's coming out, you know? <laughs> like that yeah. and that's creativity. That's where that's a space that it, it's a threatening space for some people, but it's also where things happen. It is where things happen. Yeah, and that is a rich place of creativity. So, um yeah, the past Oh, nine months or so have been, I've been tracking something I'm calling vision tracking, right? which is, you know, there's this gap quite often where uh, between having a vision, sometimes you get little, what I would call like image shards. Like you get these little 
flashes sometimes, maybe in meditation or in a walk or in a conversation. You get a, like a little glimpse of who Rebecca might be a year from now or yeah. where you might be a year from now. It's just like little glimpses. But then there's a gap between those little glimpses or maybe you even have like a full vision session for a whole day or a weekend retreat, like where you really map out your vision. And then you come back to the rest of your life with your children, your work and so forth. And there's no time really to track that vision. So maybe I'll ask you, like, how, how do you, how are you holding space for and actually tracking those little glimpses of, of what you're getting? Are you writing down ideas? Are you sketching ideas? I'm definitely sketching things out in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's just, it's a very visual sketch. Sometimes um, it's even through some things I'll post on social media. Sometimes it's something, I'll record something that I won't necessarily put on the podcast or that I'll hold and think, oh, maybe I'll put this on one day because this is a little too intimate right now. So there's there's a lot of different ways that I'm tracking these things. I'm starting to write more and more. Um, but writing isn't always the perfect pathway for me, I'm finding, because I'm somebody who does a better job of getting these things out in conversation. Um, and writing, somehow I miss my flow when I'm typing or when I'm handwriting. Um, so speaking words is something that works a lot better for me. And so I, I have a certain team that I'm building around me, um, people who I can talk to and who can start doing some of the, the tracking with me. That's super, super important. Yeah, we yeah. started calling uh, people on our team vision keepers. And mm -hmm. I've started calling the vision keepers too. And I have other um, colleagues who are vision keepers uh, for me as well. That's really important. And that's, it is. And it's vulnerable though it's too. It's such right? vulnerable work. You know, and I, I have to just back up a minute because as we're talking about vision tracking and vision keepers, I can't help but think this is also a spiritual experience. Yeah. Tell me, what, what do you mean? What is this? Well, I, the, I mean, the like vision the, tracking? Yeah, just the words themselves feel, you know, they, they feel a little otherworldly. And I want to own that. I want to kind of like sit with that for a minute. But then also like this experience of actually sharing these parts of yourself, these really creative, more vulnerable, not fully hatched, not fully baked parts of yourself, the same parts that like, like I sat down I'm, I'm podcasting now, so I have this whole audio setup. And I sat down the other day and I was having a really inspired moment. And I recorded myself for like 20 minutes. And then I saved it. <laughs> <laughs> and I hid it away. And then I was talking to um, an assistant of mine. And I said, you know what? I'm going to share it with you. And so like getting to the point where I could allow myself to share that with her was such... I mean, like, that's a crack myself open moment. That is a crack yourself open moment. I see it happen over and over again, certainly in, in my work, but with our clients too. That is a moment where you share the vision. Mm -hmm. You're not attached, <laughs> but there's a part of you that's kind of attached because yeah. you're really hoping you're going to get encouragement. Um, because what, what's really curious, what really holds back a lot of people um, from sharing their vision, sharing a core belief, uh, sharing uh, a unique idea, there, there may be two or three things, I think. One is, at this stage, there's the fear of the jeer, the fear that um, 
either their friends or their peers are going to laugh at them. So somebody in our community recently even said that it's his friends that he is most afraid um, who, who will kind of roll their eyes at him uh, and, and sort of say that's a ridiculous idea. And that is a part of what holds us back from sharing our vision or ideas from somebody. Very the much. Of the jeer. And among professionals like, like you in your field, um, and we work with lots of lawyers, psychotherapists, um, people in the, the health field. Curiously, they, and, and even corporate consultants have this fear too, and executives. They fear actually what their professional peers are going to think There's- about this idea. I I notice within my field that there's a lot of conversation around ethics. Yeah. What is right versus like how I want to do things. Yes. You know, like these are two competing things. Like what feels right to me versus what my entire profession deems is right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's that you, you nailed it. And, and I see it among uh, psychologists and therapists and lawyers, people where there are, um, institutional professional organizations that have established guidelines and quite often legal and ethical guidelines that hold people back from shaking up that organization's guidelines that are usually very protective. They're trying to protect the inner circle and it's very daring and bold. So we have a, you know, we have a, um, a client who's a, a, a divorce lawyer who's really shaking up, uh, frankly, how people Divorce, and uh, and she's been doing this work for years. She has special training too, and in, in different ways of uh, of working with people uh, emotionally, and and she really sees divorce actually as an opportunity for development and growth, and and has this amazing process of collaborative law. And, but she's she's just been doing that work within her firm, and has kind of been building out the team. But actually, only until recently, with some pretty deep work, did she get to the place during her most recent team retreat that she shared her vision for the firm and shared her core beliefs. And she's, you know, it was, again, like a, a pretty vulnerable moment for her. And yet they all were so enthusiastic. They all felt lit up on purpose like they felt a part of something greater too, right? So your assistant probably was like, oh my gosh, yes. And, you know, could could sort of get on board with you in that vision too, because that person, your assistant may have felt like she was a part of the vision. Totally. You know, and it's, it's so there's there's parts of being included in and being swept up with the excitement and the, and the creative energy that comes with these big ideas. Yeah, 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 and swept up in them too, and so yeah, yeah we we uh, and then being able to let go of or delay or pivot a vision too is a whole other area. Yeah, right? That's oh my really gosh, challenge. Which may have <laughs> like you know, uh, and and I know uh, Marisa too is a wonderful human being and and wonderful professional and very creative as well and excellent writer and you two you know obviously had this original vision i don't know what it was but maybe you had this original vision for the pobs cast and then it came a time where you're like well we're gonna have to shift the vision here a little bit you know it was really interesting what i think we both started feeling and the reason for our our big shift is that 
we were both um, muting parts of ourselves and our creativity to stay in line with each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so all of the the wonder of both of us was the stuff that wasn't getting activated anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so. This is a, a team piece and a collaboration piece, too, yeah, as, as well. So when I've worked with with teams, this gets really tricky because we're we're in a curious time in um, the workplace too, across the United States and in other countries where collaboration and hive mind is is really uh, being emphasized. People in the Silicon Valley are just like you know the hive mind, and like let's all. Like collaborate and at Tracking Wonder, we also have as one of our twelve principles of business is unusual um, a saying, our principle, which is, we know that do it together beats do it yourself. Like we know that, <laughs> and you know that, but it's tricky. Collaboration is tricky, and so when I work with teams, part of my work quite often is to do some self assessments and do some discovery work with every team member. And then to get them not only to see themselves in a couple of critical ways anew, but then again, like this goes back to the beginning of our conversation, then for each of them to see one another anew and differently. And how, how can I re-see that person's strengths, that person's heritage, that person's young genius and acknowledge that person is contributing, let's say, to the greater good of our common project in a way that I didn't see before. So, so that's a really tricky piece. And, and so good for you and Marisa to recognize, you know what, that the partnership is ultimately not working in this format in a way that is allowing our respective creativity to flourish. It's nothing yeah. personal. It, it it's, wasn't. It's yeah. nothing personal. It's just <laughs> the nature of the project, the nature of the format, the nature of the modality, and the nature of where we, we both are in our yeah. respective lives. Yeah. We, we both needed more space for more creative growth and also more space for our friendship. So um, I, I'm really excited for yeah. both of us about yeah. where this is going. Um, and I want to I be clear about that. Like it, it has been a lot of work to get here. Um, we've both felt a lot of different things, but it's this process of really being able to crack open and see ourselves and see each other that I think also invites in these amazing shifts and opportunities. And I mean, like the wonder is all back again for me. The so, wonder, yeah, the, yeah, you've actually expressed different layers of wonder too. So in part of my work over the past several years as well, I've recognized, like when I say that wonder is not kid stuff, it's radical grown-up stuff. I mean that very genuinely. And I do track my three-year-old and eight-year-old. And, you know, people remember only certain parts of children's childhoods, but I like watch all layers of it. I'm like, well, that's not exactly wonder. Um, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> so there are different, you know, Joseph Campbell said that, you know, a hero has a thousand faces, right? Um I, I think wonder, I know wonder comes in many faces. And so there's the, um, there's the face of the wide-eyed naivete that ultimately can be a sort of intelligent naivete. In Zen, we'd call it beginner's mind. But that wide-eyed naivete is what really cracks us open to possibility again, 
which is probably where you're feeling that openness yet again to possibility. And though there's this, there are other faces that aren't necessarily so pure as that wide-eyed naivete, like what I call fertile confusion, which is where it, it is that place of unknowing where it's, it's neither positive or negative emotionally. It's a little of both. And you know you're confused because you're not quite clear on who you are becoming. I think <laughs> something that's really, really key in here that I just heard you say is that you're confused on who you are becoming. Yeah. There, there's the stuff where we're talking about things that you're making, experiences that you're sharing, things that you're creating. But as I'm listening to you talk, you're talking about who you are becoming. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you are becoming somebody new in the process of making. Yeah. As well. So the making helps you become and you have to fertilize it. Otherwise, it's like it's like leaving the shore of your familiar self. And now you're far away from that shore and you can't see the next shore. And there's this natural desire to go back to the familiar shore, to go back to what was familiar because what's ahead is so unknown that, that you get frightened. And so we need a series of mental models, a series of practices and partners, packs to help us keep in that confusion and fertilize that confusion. Oh gosh, Jeffrey, I'm, I'm buzzing again. <laughs> <laughs> So for me, so much of the practice of being seen, it's, it's this idea, it's, it's a practice. And it's a practice of being able to, to notice and in many ways track yourself, know where you are and what, what are you feeling and what are you needing and how, how do you achieve these things um, and stay in your flow? Yeah. How do you discover your flow? How do you, right. how do you get there? And how do you integrate all of these different pieces of your life, the relationships that are important to you, that hold you, the practical things that you have to do, like making a living and the creativity and all of these other aspects of you? How do you integrate it all into one life? That's yeah. That's the third part too of tracking wonder. So, I, oh yeah, I mentioned I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned at the beginning that you know tracking wonder, capital T, capital W, is a consultancy. We're also a community. So our tracking wonder quest community, which is um, mostly lives on on Facebook, the tracking wonder quest community that your listeners are free to find. We'll um, include a link in our show notes. Great, great. It's an international community. So we're 16 countries strong. We have quest maps that show where our questers live in the United States and North America and really across the globe. And they're all dedicated to bringing their best selves forward to their best work to help create a better world in some little small or big way. But the third part is the practice, the mental models and even what we're developing and testing out in a more codified way as um, what I'm calling wonder interventions. So um, wonder intervention. So 
this just like gets right to the heart of, of your question. Like, how do you keep integrating this into your daily life? And there's nothing perfect to any of this. So it's all going to be messy in some ways, and it's all going to be experimental. Um, so I'll, I'll be more specific in a moment, but we call a lot of people in our community business artists, which means they do basically three things. They create like an artist, they experiment like a scientist, and they earn like an entrepreneur. And that middle part's really important. They experiment like a scientist. So they're always testing things out. And they treat even this process of fertile confusion as a series of experiments. So they get really curious, and they're going to follow certain key burning questions. And then they're going to put into place some daily and weekly and even monthly practices to keep tracking their experiments and tracking their vision. So because the for, tracking here, that's, that's one of that's the integral the parts of your practice. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. That's, the, that's the really important piece um, because an important part of a meaningful life and a meaningful work life I've realized in my own experimentations in culling research is reflection. We often focus on presence, which is really important to be here. But it's and really it, different than reflection. But it's really different than reflection. And if you think of our experience with art, we're really present when we're engaged in a film or some piece of art or, or, or reading a, a novel that really moves us. That was created <laughs> right from somebody who had to do a lot of reflection and, and work and so forth. So um, I guess what I'm saying is that quite often our, our greatest meaning making happens through reflection and finding patterns. So we want to be really present to the moment. But what I think is what we're really after in our work life is not just more productive days, but more meaningful and memorable days. Can we talk a little bit about what brings meaning? I mean, I, yeah. as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm reflecting on, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm reading Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and as I think about that, one of the most poignant parts of, of reading that story for me was as he's talking about his experience of receiving some of the worst treatment that a human could, re could receive and at the same time in his mind, he's going to a place in the future where he's created meaning by becoming a professor and lecturing. And, you know, that there's this interplay that it's not always about being fully present. That's right. Yeah. The present, um, I, ha I haven't found the right metaphor. I used to call it the pregnant present, but it's like this image. Uh, that's not quite the right metaphor, so I haven't found it. Maybe you can help me. But Let's it's try. This, it's this image of this, of uh, like an oval, like the present is an oval that includes your anticipation of a better future, your anticipation of a better vision of what you are becoming or what we are becoming what the world could become, as well as a reflection. So that's the other part of the, the oval, a reflection of who you've been and not cutting that off. And so the reflection, though, can become a practice, a daily practice and habit. And just to sort of frame anticipation and reflection on a day, 
I've been pretty obsessed probably since I was 20 and devoured Walden with the ability to, to try to shape a day artfully. And so I've been pretty obsessive too in the past nine months or so in refining like a day book process. And so maybe we, it would be useful for your listeners to talk about two practices, one at the beginning of the day and one at the end of the day. One at the beginning of the day maybe you know, you keep a day book, um, which is the origin of the word journal, but I like day book because it's like I'm going to honor the day in part by keeping this day book. So in the morning, you find some time to center yourself, whatever your centering practice, quiet time, just for a few minutes. And you write down your completion of, of this sentence, uh, I am devoted today to blank. I'm devoted today to blank. Um, sometimes that's related to your business. So for instance, I had a team member do a practice for 15 days that included actually yoga and meditation every morning. And I said, what was the most valuable part of that practice for you? She said, you know, it was actually setting the intention because I would have her ask, what am I working today for? <laughs> and, and then answer that question with, I am devoted to blank, right? So what am I doing this work today for? What am I exploring, right? For you, it'd be like, what am I exploring the next horizon for? Right. Or what, what am I doing the podcast for? And this puts you in this open space. It's not defensive of why am I doing it, but it's like, what's this for, really? And so that puts you in this open space in the morning. And then you follow that up with... Um, with that intention, right, of then you're anticipating that what you're doing during the day will be part of that intention. It helps you hold it differently. It helps you completely hold it differently. Now, the other, there are other interventions that I encourage people now to do during, during actually during the day. Uh, and I realize what these wonder interventions are, are ways to remind us how to break well. How to take Go breaks there. well. Help, wait, wait, help, help with this because I think, I think this is something that a lot of us, myself, my husband, even my kids included, certainly the majority of my clients, when you're talking about breaking well, I'm codifying this in, in you know, psychotherapeutic kind of language. We're also talking about self-care. We're completely talking about self-care and it's, it's, I realized the profundity of this work and I've been doing it for years and I used to teach them at retreats in Taos and only in the past eight months or so have I started to codify them for myself and now we're going to test them out in different ways. We're going to test them out at a, a workshop in a few weeks and I realized, yeah, oh my gosh, this is about learning to break well from your work. Can I, can I slow you down again and ask yeah. you another, maybe yeah. a little bit more of a personal dive in kind of Absolutely. question? Okay. You're tracking all of this stuff and you're codifying this and you're making it into something that you can really like help people put their, put their own practice, build their own practices around. But where is this coming from, Jeffrey? Like this yeah. is a personal, it, it sounds like it's also it's a personal, personal story, <laughs> it's right? All, it's all personal. Like this is what I've said in every iteration of my public grown up life, every at every stage, anything that I'm sharing, anything I'm teaching or facilitating, I said, you know, this comes first out of my own 
needs and curiosities and experience. I validate it there first. Then I validate it with the people that I work with. And then I validate it through research to see if the research is caught up yet. And it usually almost has. And then it starts to catch up. So, yes. So what I've re- let me just put it this way. I track wonder in part because I, I realize worry tracks me. Mm. Yeah, it, it really does. And I realized that that has been a part of my makeup since I was a boy, that there was always this part of this toe-headed boy that was out there tracking wonder, climbing trees, and finding that's just always what I've been tracking. I didn't have a word for it until I was in my mid-30s doing some research. I realized, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing. I'm tracking wonder. For me now, as a grown-up, there are lots of worries. I have lots of worries. I have a three, three-year-old worry, an eight-year-old worry. <laughs> I have um, you know, business worries. I have people on my team. Uh, you know, I worry about our times, our culture. That worry comes from a deep care. And I know that young genius in me has always been deeply caring. When you're deeply caring, of course, that the other part of that is is worrying sometimes. So I know that I developed these practices in part to help mitigate some of that worry and to switch gears. This morning, you know, I I thought I got a good night's rest. Um, And I do my morning practice. Like I have a very clear morning a set of practices for about 90 minutes, sometimes two hours of just like different things that I know to do and what to eat, what to drink and so forth in order to have my best day. And yet I was not, I was physically off. Like there's something like, I think I've caught, you know, a cold yet again from my three-year-old. And so there's this kind of viral thing. And what happens in the body is when your body's trying to fight off a virus you cognitively feel closed. You know, your head's congested. You feel literally closed. And wonder is an opening. And so if wonder is not going to come to you, you go out and track it. <laughs> so, so this morning I was like, I need a wonder intervention. I need to break. I'm going to have this conversation with Rebecca. Like I need to get in a different space. So one of the wonder interventions is called pause, gaze, praise. Pause, gaze, praise. Yeah. Pause, gaze, praise. Ah. Break it down for us. Yeah. So you're working and you notice that you're getting fatigued. You're getting irritated. You feel physically constricted in your your skull, in your shoulders, what have you. You know you, you can't work optimally anymore. Or you can't have a conversation optimally anymore. It's time to pause. And so the pause can come just by pausing at your workplace. It can come from removing yourself from the screen and stepping outdoors. And then you just let your eyes land on and receive something simple and ordinary. Because wonder arrives in the ordinary, not not the big, larger-than-life, awe-inspiring moments. And, and you let your eyes just absorb and take in and receive 
the form, the color, the hue, the shape of what's right in front of you, or sometimes maybe even who's in front of you. This is a very sensory experience. It's very sensory, which is really, really important, I've discovered, in, in tracking wonder. It's very here with your senses, with your full body and your environment. And it's and not the, just, it, it's, it's embodied. It's not just in your head. That's right. It's, it's really embodied. So you're trying to even, there are certain cues I've given people to, to feel the rhythm of what you're gazing at. All right. So if we were in a workshop, I'd say, you know, just take in, let your eyes glide over what you're gazing at from left to right and feel the rhythm of that. So you're trying to experience. I, I'm just sorry. Briefly. I just I just let my eyes as you were saying that gaze yeah. even over my keyboard, which is sitting in front of me. Yes. And there was a rhythm there. I was like bump 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 bump. You know, like yeah. there was yeah. even something that's that ordinary. Beautiful, exactly. Yeah. Bump 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 bump, which is kind of musical, right? Mm-hmm. Bump 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 bump, and then you praise. So praising, of course, goes back to the origins of. Uh, a, a, a lot of poetry, and I am a poet, and uh, that is a part of the way I operate in the world. Um, and so the praise piece is either within your mind or verbally out loud or in writing to write down just a few sensory descriptions, if that's where you're at, a few sensory descriptions that are appreciative of what you're observing, or if it is to honor the function and the beauty of that small, ordinary thing, then writing it down or saying it out loud or at least articulating it within your mind shifts your perspective and it shifts what's real. I'm, I'm smiling and thinking, oh, I get to praise my keyboard now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You think about what poetry arises at, right? Like Pablo, Pablo Neruda, right? This incredible human being, an exiled politician and poet who who wrote odes to socks and odes to bicycles, right? And like in his later years after this rich, complicated life, he wrote a whole book of questions. And I think of like, this is like 1972 or 73, Vietnam War is going on. Helicopters are being used in nefarious ways. And he writes in that book a question, something like, what, why don't they train helicopters to suck honey from sunlight? Oh. Why don't they train helicopters to suck honey from sunlight? That's a moment of re-seeing something in a fresh way, right? Yeah. That is grown-up wonder. That, right? is, that <laughs> is grown-up wonder. <laughs> that has this pause. So, so the pause gaze praise, this is something I try to practice every day. I have um, on my iPad mini uh, YouTube's app called Capture. And Capture is mm-hmm. this great video app that lets you capture little snippets. For me, I capture little snippets throughout the day. My, my daily challenge is to create 10 six-second snippets throughout my workday from morning to bedtime that ultimately will create a daydream out of that day. Now, why am I doing it? It's just what I need to do right now during because my it gr- work it, well, it also it grounds you. You know, we, it completely we recently, grounds me. Yeah. So I went out. That's what I did this morning before our interview. I went out. I took, I took about three pause, praise, gaze uh, 
video clips. Now, the last piece, back to reflection and meaning that I wanted to capture, yeah. is the wonder intervention of three highlights. This isn't the three gratitudes practice. It's different. It's three highlights. And it's something I used to practice when I was a boy, actually. And now we practice it as a family. It's reflecting on your three highlights of the day. And part of the challenge is to describe the sensory moments. So the sensory details of those moments, of those highlights. Because quite often we will go to abstractions and we say, oh, it was a highlight when I did this or this happened. But we try to get to the sensory moment. And it's a remarkable challenge if you do it every day. It starts to cue your senses to your environment. So you start to anticipate what your three highlights might be. And if you track those every day in your day book on an ongoing basis, and then you look back on them mm-hmm. week by week, it you start to, see, it start to unlock something. And yeah. you see, where have I been paying attention for the past week? Right. I think it, it was Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi who said, you are what you pay attention to. You are. And, and, you know, this is, it. talk about integration, right? And like bringing all these different parts of ourselves into one fully experiencing human. One of the things that I notice in my, in my clinical practice is that so often when people come to me and they're feeling really stuck in their relationships or their life and all these different parts, the thing that they're not doing is feeling. They're not having feeling experiences and they're not noticing the feelings that they're having. And so they're not able to communicate and talk about the things that they need. And like all of these things really go together. So there's something about this practice, this pause, gaze, praise, and these reflecting on these three highlights every day where you're really describing the sensory detail. That's really opening and unlocking. It really is opening and unlocking. And when I used to teach creative writing courses back in my 20s, um, I would take a lot of students outdoors. And I was basically trying to train their senses as writers and to, and to really be engaged in a feeling sense as well. Um, if, if you have your clients do this, it, it gives rise to creative art making, right? So, so many songwriters and, and poets and, and novelists I know and have worked with operate by, by feeling first. Like one, one pretty well-known novelist with whom I've, I've worked said, you know, I gave a talk and it was about how as a novelist, I have a feeling, this feeling I can't put words to. It's an undefinable feeling. And then for the next 10 years, I try to find a form for that feeling in a novel. I love that. I totally love that. So, yes, that's right. We, we are not often um, attuned to how we feel in our bodies, right, at a somatic level. And yet, as I'm sure you well know, that is a source of great wisdom. Distress. And, and oh, distress. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. the converse, <laughs> when you do have that somatic intelligence, you are able to check in to into your quote gut feeling into your internal gps you know i'm also thinking that you know since i started podcasting i start i have been expressing more of what i'm feeling because as we're having this conversation you can't necessarily and our listeners can't see 
see my expressions, right? There's a lot of missed moments. And so when I have these like, yes, 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 kind of moments while you're talking, I pop in and say like, what I'm experiencing in my body right now is... And that, I love that. Yeah. And so it's it's been a really interesting practice for me to, to tap into that and to be able to share it. I'm finding that it's a beautiful practice in terms of helping me tap into to that part of my process. But it's also a really interesting way to bring you in with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Right. Because we're not in the same room mm-hmm. in this moment. Uh, another, I, I want to mention a couple of things. Yeah, we're not in the same room together. I've been looking at and also testing out the experience of being in face-to-face and just how important that is in our body so language, right? Our body language, our mimicry, and so forth. So I love that you're finding ways to um, Im- embody our imaginations, mm. right? So your listeners can embody. So I'm walking around. I'm at a standing desk. I have a long cord um, uh headset on. So I'm walking right now and kind of pacing as we're talking, looking out my window and so forth as we're talking. That just kind of helps me yeah. um, be here. Um, another wonder intervention, by the way, is a wonder talk. And I feel like that's what we've been having. Yeah. <laughs> but it is really to try to be open in conversation and not be attached to outcome and, and to really be attuned. I've, I've cued people to listen with their feet instead of just like being engaged in their heads, like really listen to what somebody's saying, but focus your inner attention on your feet instead of trying to analyze what people are saying. I love that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm noticing as you're, as we're talking about this wonder talk and listening with the feet, I'm thinking about my work because so much of my work, I think I live in this space where I get to sit down with people and have these conversations, whether it's on a podcast or in a clinical session, or I'm consulting with a, with a colleague, all of the work I do happens in conversation. And when I'm in the room with my clients, I'm always watching their feed. Oh, that's so interesting. I, like, what, what, I, do you, what do you what do you notice? Do I you notice know why ev- you do that? I notice everything. I, like literally everything can be told that way. Um, it's one of the reasons why I don't really like doing online sessions when it's a clinical session because I, even if I could see their whole face, I can't see their feet. Um, but one of the things, like I notice when, when someone starts shaking their foot, when they hide their feet underneath them, like there's so many different telltale things that we, we do with our feet that we don't necessarily even notice that we're doing. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. You know, and I got that idea of listening with your feet, I possibly from, maybe it was Lao Tzu who said, the teacher listens mm. with his feet. Yeah. Her feet. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Wow. The feet it's, are so it's revealing. so, so <laughs> much. Like, you know, like, the, I, well, that's where our soul lies. Mm. Tell me more. Well, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I, um, you went to camp GLP. I was there as well last year. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm not going to be there this summer, but, um, one of the workshops I was in, I think it was with Sanes Stevens. She mm. had everyone grab a mark, a Sharpie and take off their shoes and write their soul intention on the sole of their feet. Which was, it was beautiful and you walk and it rubs off that day and all of that type of stuff. But it just, it really made me start thinking about our feet in another way. Like this, this is where we get our grounding from. Yes. 
you know, and, and in ancient wisdom, there's a lot of, um, a lot of philosophies where, you know, foot reflexology, like there's the, every organ is present right there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure your Love wife that. could probably tell us more about that. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's just so much. So I, I love that we just went to the feet. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I'm thinking about a client too who has an alpaca farm and, and we're working on her alpaca sock project and feet. <laughs> so I'll have to share some of that with her. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeffrey, this has been such a delicious conversation. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that this is the first of many. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this has really been fun. This has been a wonder talk. It just had no idea where we, where we might go. I think we went to a lot of really wonderful places. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just let this be really full. Um, how can our listeners get a hold of you? Where do you want them to find you? Well, you can definitely find me at uh, trackingwonder.com. Um, I do engage people at my personal Facebook wall, so you're f- free to find me there, Jeffrey Davis, or our Tracking Wonder Quest community on Facebook. It's our free community, international. You just get you get weekly support and engagement. We're creating lots of really cool business artist alliances, even geographically. We're hooking people up in their local communities to really get together and do some of the things you and I were just talking about, sharing your vision and, and keeping each other moving forward with your ideas. Mm, I love it. And, you know, Jeffrey, you often also are speaking at different events. You have different things coming up all the time. So I just want to also encourage our listeners when they go to your Tracking Wonder site to have a peek over on your events page and see if there's anything near them. Please do. Please do. Camp GLP and Shivananda's in the Bahamas coming up. Yeah. So thanks for that. Yeah. Um, so thank you. We, we, uh, I will put like all of this on our show notes and I'm just, I want to just keep talking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let's keep talking and keep tracking. <laughs> awesome. Rebecca, thanks for your work in the world. And thank you so much for inviting me in. Thank you, Jeffrey. So I, I just, I know we, we closed out, but I wanted to come back in. Because as we started wrapping up, I was thinking about all of the fear that lives in the places of the unknown and how much like the imposter syndrome stuff starts to kind of edge up and get underneath everybody's skin. And I was just wondering, Jeffrey, this is a place where you you live and you're you're pretty comfortable in this place of not knowing. What what thoughts do you have about how to how to keep those fears and that imposter syndrome like at a reasonable distance so that we could stay in this creative flowy place. Wow. That imposter syndrome piece, I'm just rewriting a piece, I think from my psychology today column on imposter syndrome and a couple of other, what I call afflictions of the Mm -hmm. accomplished professional. (laughs) So (laughs) it's different when you're 21 or 22 and you've not gathered a lot of heritage of experience and credibility and professionalism and so forth versus when you're at a different stage in your life cycle where you have accumulated um, a certain public persona, a certain level of credibility in certain fields and expertise, et cetera, et cetera. When you're at that stage of being, quote, the accomplished professional, 
the imposter syndrome comes up expressly when you are breaking brand, so to speak. You're mm -hmm. venturing off into something else, and by venturing off into something else, you are becoming somebody else. So, um, yeah, a couple of ways to, to work with that. When you're in this phase of discovery, new discovery, fertilizing the confusion, it's really important that you have daily practices to mitigate and even talk with those and fears to and to hold yeah. you right mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. to ignore the fears because the fears and the doubts often are useful and tell us certain things so it's like oh okay so now how can i get curious about that fear how can i get curious about that doubt what what is there is there something real there oh i'm fearing because maybe i don't have enough financial resources to hold the space for this is that true well if that's true then what could i do now to create some revenue to hold the space for this next venture. Um, oh, I'm doubting my credibility. Well, is that true? Do I have like a set of experiences that show that I can transfer my existing skill set and strengths to this next venture, whatever this next venture is? If so, great, like own that and bring that forward to this new venture. If not, I get curious about well, how could I start testing out the waters, playing this different role or doing this new thing so that I start to feel like I am stepping on a ground of credibility and I'm not just trying to fake it until I make it sort of thing, right? How could I make it happen through testing the waters? Do you feel that there's also space for the faking it? Like not not fully faking it, but... I, I find that sometimes when we're not fully standing in our own truths, when we're on the edge of some kind of growth and um, struggling through these fears and these imposter syndrome things, that sometimes there's something to be said for like, for going there, even when you don't feel that you're really ready to, you know, <laughs> it completely like completely depends. It's very situational. I'm very skeptical and dubious of how I hear the fake it till you make it idea being um, perpetuated. Mm -hmm. So I err on looking at the situation and saying, okay, yeah. well, so part of the research I've even gathered in this area of fake it till you make it shows that like when you're in a physical situation, uh, you're speaking and so forth, that it's actually productive, of course, to fake confidence in those speaking situations, perhaps, for the first few minutes. But to risk, uh, let's say, a whole business venture mm -hmm. on faking it till you make it, I think is... It's kind, situational. It's very irresponsible advice. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. so that's why I think there's a... What I found with my clients is there's a discovery phase and then there is a really important testing phase. And this is where you move mm -hmm. from what I would say from the wide-eyed amateur who's in love with the idea to the curious apprentice who's in the laboratory conducting experiments, gathering data, testing things out along the way before she fires off the cannon and says, this is what I'm doing. Right. And I, as, as I hear you now describe it like that, I'm thinking that this um, quote unquote faking it till you're making an experience that I'm conceiving in my head 
happens much more in the testing phase. That it it's, does, exactly. It's much more about like stepping onto the stage and giving those first few few talks. Exactly. Um, like exactly. there's something in there happening. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think that is a far more credible, curious, and creative way of moving forward uh, and much more empowering to you, right? You get to assume agency over what you're doing, what you're experimenting versus saying, well, I'll just fake it and I'll just launch some big new endeavor and just hope it lands and I'll just fake that it's all really exciting. <laughs> right. As opposed to like, and I, and I think the, the place where I, when I'm talking about faking it, I'm more talking about the confidence piece of it. Yeah. yeah. So it's not that you're faking any of the, the, the stuff that you're creating. It's more that you're, um, you're not fully feeling embodied in what you're creating yet. And you're faking that embodiment until you can actually get there. Yeah. Yeah. A really good closing piece here, I think is um, how I used to describe the inner heckler and the inner confidant and the inner confidant. So I don't have really an inner critic. I probably do, but it usually arises as an inner heckler, which is kind of laughing at me and you're too big for your britches. And you know, who do you think you are that, you know, what, how ridiculous that idea is. And so that there's that inner heckler voice, which is sometimes useful, and I listen to it. And then there's also the inner confidant voice, which is that part of me within that is really tuning in to my young genius, is tuning in to my sense of a core self that is not giving me groundless you can do anything, but is giving me the perspective of what what I can do and what I'm here for. So really listening to that inner confidant, which, you know, I'm a word geek. So at the root of confidence is confide, which means with faith. So it's a practice to have faith with your true self as you're moving forward through that natural fear and doubt. What a place to live. <laughs> There's a good place to land. Oh, thank you for that, Jeffrey. Thanks, Rebecca. <sighs> and thanks for being with us today. Always. Did you love that conversation with Jeffrey as much as I did having it? I would love to hear more about your thoughts and feelings. So be sure to hop on over to the Practice of Being Seen podcast community on Facebook there's a link to join us in our show notes. And if you're ready to create your most important, most integrated work, but you know that you're going to need a little support along the way, be the first to hear about my upcoming offering that's giving me all the butterflies in my stomach. Learn about the Connectfulness Method Mentorship Program for therapists and healers. Click the link in our show notes. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the support of my amazing behind-the-scenes team, Nicole Stevenson and Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Ferris Jr. and Sr. and produced by Kidneystone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show and will join us next week for another episode of the Pobscast. Brought to you by Connectfulness. <laughs>